So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media? Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello, everybody at home, and welcome to House Lights, the house of Wright. That is Edgar Wright. We are going to be talking about his work in the Cornetto trilogy. And some of you may be scratching your heads. Tristan, what is the Cornetto trilogy? And, well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you it's Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End. It's an unofficial trilogy. They kind of leaned into it towards the end of World's End, but it's definitely there. And so today we are going to be talking about Shaun of the Dead, his first, Edgar Wright's first major motion picture release. Emphasis on major motion picture. I am your co-host, Tristan Riddell, and with me as always is Darren Moser, Dr. Sci-Fi himself, and John Mills. I am so excited to start episode 107 with you guys, and specifically the Cornetto trilogy, because I love this trilogy. This is one of my favorite trilogies. I, I love the style. I love just the, the, the relationship between the two, le- the two actors. For people who may not know the name, Edgar Wright is an English filmmaker. He is known for his fast-paced, kinetic, satirical genre films, which feature extensive utilization of expressive popular music, steadicam tracking shots, dolly zooms, and a signature editing style that includes transitions, whip pans, and wipes. He's directed the Cornetto trilogy, and he's also directed Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, Baby Driver, and Last Night in Soho. So this guy, he has, he has some hits under his belt if you forget about last night in Soho. You know, like, but, but regardless of that, I am excited to talk about him. I, I never realized that I've seen everything he's done except for last night in Soho. So I have to correct that. But that's, that's really... See, I, I always consider it really wild when you ask me my favorite filmmakers. Edgar Wright is not a name that like floats up to the top for me. Like He's not a top-of-mind director. But you go through that list, and I think to myself, I've seen just about everything he's done. Um, why doesn't he float up to the top of my list? Like that, that's odd to me. Do you guys encounter the same sort of thing where it's you, when somebody comes to you and they they say, what directors do you love? Is Edgar Wright in that top five with like Tarantino and Nolan and Fincher? Or is that somebody where you go a little bit deeper and you just, the name is there, but for whatever reason, it doesn't occur to you until maybe, you know, 30 seconds into the conversation to bring his name up. I think Linklater is one of those for me. Mm. Where, like, Fair. I love so many things that he has done. Not everything, but so many things that he's done. But if you ask me to, like, list out my top five or even top ten, maybe I'd put him in top ten. But, like, Edgar Wright, I wouldn't, but I should because he's done such great work. So, yeah, yeah I think I, I'm with you on that one. That's That's an interesting tidbit there. Darren, what about you? Yeah, I'd say the the latter. It, it's you. 
yeah, you look at his filmography and you're like, oh, those are all great films. And he did a lot with a little and a lot with a lot, uh, budget wise. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but yeah, what was the budget on Shaun of the Dead, Darren? Shaun of the Dead's budget was only six million and it made 30. Uh, six million with, pounds and made 30 million pounds. Yeah. That is, is quite a return on investment. Yeah. How much is that in real money? Hey, oh, sorry, English people. Just had to make the joke. Sorry about that. It was very heavy. Well, it's definitely uh, yes. not euros. That's all I can say. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we were chatting earlier about looking at that, the fact that he went from around an $8 million budget on Hot Fuzz to an $85 million budget for Scott Pilgrim, which it's like, imagine being handed 10 times the money to make another film. Like, that's crazy. But, but see, that's... Oh, no, go go ahead, John. Uh, go ahead. Well, well, I, I was going to say like that. That's one of the interesting things is I think that Wright is one of those directors where you can have that argument about is he better when you give him less money to work with. The, it's the it's the sort of classic argument about whether somebody who isn't allowed to break the barrier of cursing in their movies. <laughs> Are they funnier when they're forced to work within that constriction? Mm. I always fall back on the South Park example that everybody loved South Park when it came out. Everybody watched South Park. Everybody talked about South Park. And then the movie came out and all of the restrictions were removed from them. And I know I was one of the people who said, it's not as funny because they didn't. They just got lazy and I wouldn't say Wright would ever get lazy with more money, but I think that some filmmakers flourish better when their budgets are smaller because it forces them to engage that more creative part of their brain to work around the hurdle and the obstacle than when they're given, here's six, six million pounds, do with it what you will. <laughs> well, it reminds me in, in film school, you know, I think in production class, we had like a assignment where for the same film, we had to mock up like a a one million dollar budget, a ten million dollar budget, and a hundred million dollar budget. And it's like, where was your money going? And you know, in the hundred million, you could get you know The Rock and all these you know big stars. So a lot of your star power was bigger. But it was kind of showing you can make roughly the same movie for several different budget amounts, but there obviously there's a difference, you know, in, in money, but the fact that if if you're a good producer and a good director, uh yeah, the the money won't be on the screen, but you could really tell the story for whatever. To go back with what you were saying, John, about uh budget constraints, I think using a different director would be a better example because if you look from Hot Fuzz to Scott Pilgrim, I mean, these were great, you know, like people love Hot Fuzz and people love Scott Pilgrim. These are, these are both great movies, but you can see the money on the screen, to, to borrow Darren's phrase there. Like with Hot Fuzz being $8 million, Scott Pilgrim being 85 you can see the difference. And you can see how Hot Fuzz didn't need $85 million, but Scott Pilgrim did need $85 million. So Although I think that's Scott a Pilgrim only point. made $50 million back, so maybe it... Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Man. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, it burns. Oh, it burns. Damn. That's got a sting. <laughs> Darren That's just, sting just torpedoed a little bit. my point. <laughs> with facts. <laughs> Get out of here with your logic. 
Well, I, I, but the thing is, I think that that is part of the charm, you know, to keep it here with, with Shaun of the Dead is part of the charm is that this is a movie that feels like a labor of love. I, I would argue that a larger budget would undercut this. This needs to feel like that small time guerrilla production because it's such a love letter to a genre that you can tell an imposter you you bring and in that genre is known for low budget films like right. that's where they all cut their teeth it lends itself to it and i think that one of the reasons i wind up loving Shaun of the dead the way that i do is because it is a love letter to a genre the way that scream desperately <laughs> wanted to be but hey. wasn't hey whoa listen whoa. i'm not i'm not whoa. stomping on i no i'll whoa when i want to young man Scream is fine. Scream's entertaining. Scream's fun. But it has this artifice about it that just rings hollow at certain points, especially to a diehard slasher genre fan like myself. Okay? But I'm also a zombie genre fan. That's a great impersonation Stop of Stop turning into a walker. <laughs> That's really good. But Would you say it's similar to how... Uh, Galaxy Quest homages to science fiction or specifically like Star Trek television? Yes, I would. I think Galaxy Quest is in the same vein as Shaun of the Dead. There's a, there is an authenticity behind the camera mm. that I, I love that pull. That's a great pull. Yeah. This is yeah, like Galaxy solid. Quest. Yes. That's really solid. Well, okay. So 2004 is the year that Shaun of the Dead came out. I would have either just been graduating high school and going into college. And I don't, I didn't see this right away. I, I think this was a DVD rental for me. Like I, th- I think I saw this much later. Darren, what about you? I was trying to remember, cause I've spoken before how, you know, horror is not my favorite genre. So it probably would have taken like a group of r- roommates or something to drag me to, to this movie. But, I would probably say I probably saw this. This was probably owned by one of my roommates and we probably saw it like in the dorm uh, because I often dormed with many other film students. So we had massive collections of films to watch. So I'm going to go with uh, seeing it on the couch, but surrounded (laughs) by people who like making films. So that's a fun way to watch it. John, I was married by uh, 2004 (laughs) and I can tell you that uh, there was a 0.0 percent chance that i would get my lovely wife to watch this because she doesn't like zombie movies and she would not have wanted to watch it and so we started our fine tradition of we watch what we want to when the other doesn't want to watch with us so this was a rental based on a couple of people saying oh no it's really good you should watch it especially since you're a zombie movie fan and I and like I it wasn't ever at the top of my list. It was one of those ones where I was like, all right, fine, I'll get around to it, whatever. And I eventually got to it and I watched it and I was like, oh, that that was charming. I really enjoyed watching that. But to that point, I I wouldn't have felt that this is the type of experience that I had to see on the big screen. I would be glad that I had the option to watch it at home. And I don't intend that as a slight, but it's not like something where when I watched, um, what, let's say, I, 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 you know, I, of course, you know, in the moment I struggle for the, the comparison, but because I did see it on the big screen, but let's say I had not seen Blade Runner 20, 
yeah, the, the Blade Runner sequel, you know, 2049. Um, yeah, 2049. Sorry, I, I blanked for a second. I, I I'm blanked 20, too. I'm like, what year is it? 2046? Yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to say, yeah, I, no, I actually <laughs> want to say 2064. And that's why I stopped. I was like, that's not right. But I saw that on the big screen. And so I'll just point to that just by default to say, had I waited for home video, I would see that on my TV, no matter how good the TV was and say, oh, I really wish I'd seen that on the big screen. Yeah. Whereas with this, and I think it's because it's a low budget type of affair, relatively low budget type of affair, it lends itself to being very accessible regardless of how you're watching it. And so I don't think I would have gained more from spending the money to see it in the theater outside of feeling like I supported something that I would want to see succeed because it was well done. I think for me, I was, I think it was a bit of a snob when it, uh, when it came out where it was, I know Darren's, <laughs> Darren's feigning shock over here. Um, but I think like I was, I was, it was, I was totally wrong of course. And, um, but like it was, I was like, eh, you know, it's low budget. I'm not that big of a horror fan. It's British. <laughs> like, why? Eh. Why even call yourself a <laughs> film student? It has cameras. There's acting. Uh. Um, Did they even use the right filters? Is there a Dutch the angle? It's, oh my gosh. gosh! It's probably in 25 frames per second. Oh, God. oh the torture! My pal the DVD torture. player won't make it. Won't work on it. Yeah, what region is this anyway? <laughs> Two. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, there was. I was obviously very wrong, and when I watched it, I was blown away and. I uh, uh, immediately immediately bought it, and it became a part of my collection. And I've I've bought it on, I bought it on DVD, I bought it on Blu-ray, I bought it on digital, I bought it on 4K. <laughs> like I, every every release that's come out, I I've I've gotten it, and I just uh, this this is such a delight to 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 watch, and I'm so glad that we're talking about it. So let's talk about the uh, the cast and crew. This was my introduction. To Simon Pegg. How about you guys? I to yeah, this I so day too. I consider it the beginning of his career. I had no idea who he was before this. I I've, I know that he did Spaced with Edgar Wright before this. Yes, I've never seen yes. Spaced. We should have talked about that. Yeah, there there yeah. was a TV show Spaced with Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright where they where they I think they first worked together. I don't know if it's where they met. And my my parents actually like Shaun of the Dead. And, and so they're like, let's, we're going to give space to shot. And then they watched it and they're like, good Lord, this sucks. Like, we, like this isn't I, even a B quality. I, I've never seen it. And it, it always had a lot of uh, uh, cred with my friends. It, am I missing out on something? Is there something that as somebody who enjoys Shaun of the Dead, I need to go and see spaced? I've only seen the first episode because I was, so I'm kind of with my parents, but I need to go back and give it a fair shake. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. We have Simon Pegg as Sean. We have Kate Ashfield as Liz. Nick Frost as Ed. Nick Frost. And Lucy Davis as Diane. And Dylan Morin, who's huge across the pond as David. Um, I think it's what a cast of characters with Sean, Liz, Ed, Diane, and David. I mean, I think that's what really makes this film. I agree. And Barbara. <laughs> yes. I, 
I agree, but at the same time, I really have to point out that they did a great job with the the other supporting cast as well. Bill Nighy, I like oh, I, nice. the light. I so love funny. he walks on screen and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna like what I see next. First time and I saw Bill was in uh oh, what was that Christmas movie? Um Love Actually. Love that Actually. was the first time I first got time exposed I to him, him as well. Yeah. So that would have yeah. been two thousand I know that was two thousand and three. Or yeah, maybe it was. I it 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 was uh it was released at the same time as Matrix Revolutions because I specifically went to Love Actually as a vote against a third Matrix movie because I hated the second one so much. Well, I didn't really hate it, but I was so disappointed with it. Anyway, um, I Peter, uh, Peter Serafinowicz, so Darth Maul's voice is in this movie, um, but that core cast, Tristan, to your point. I mean, what a revelation that Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are. That's not to detract from the rest of the cast, but there's no denying that the chemistry that those two guys have on screen is ridiculous. I I immediately buy them as two besties. And on top of that, if I can get a little personal here, because I like to share with the audience, I can recognize aspects of past friendships that I had when I was, you know, a bit younger than I am now. <laughs> and seriously, I think that's what makes Shaun of the Dead work so well is everybody can look at that core friendship yeah, and understand that everybody has had a relationship like that where when the chips are down, you, you're always defending that friend. And then you can imagine if you were in a real crisis situation that you would suddenly understand why everybody hates them. And you would like... I, I that that is the core journey in the film that I think works so damn well and makes it so relatable because Darren, like you said, you're not even a horror fan, right? But this movie's accessible to I you would because watch of a that movie core relationship that was called you know Sean and Ed, and it's just about their daily life and a week of their humdrum lives. I think it would be engaging. It just happens yeah. to be during the zombie apocalypse, which is kind of how this story is pitched. Yeah. Well, with um, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, they actually were roommates. And a lot of this movie, l- their interaction is based off of when they were roommates, like the interactions that they had. And so, I mean, that's why it feels so real is because it's based off of real events, like obviously not the zombie parts, but the roommate parts. And you can, that's, you, John, I'm so you glad that you pointed it, that yeah. out because you can really feel it. We've all had those idiot male roommates. <laughs> Who's just, oh, yes. you love, but you recognize is a freaking dumbass. Like you just, you feel it in your bones where you're just like, I would lay down in traffic for this person, but God, I wish they would wash a dish. <laughs> uh, I've, I haven't had a roommate like that, but I have had plenty of friends where other people have said, oh, I don't get why you're that person's friend. And I say, you might not get it, but I do. Mm-hmm. And it's and I, so I love them, even though, you know. But if you were to put me in a zombie moment with them, I would lose my cool with them finally because it would be it, I would suddenly understand their shortcomings as uh, <laughs> as people in those uh, core situations. And that's one of the things I love is that you know, Ed is sitting there and he's the one on the phone and he's looking down and he's. He's not really appreciating the gravity of the situation. <laughs> it's such a, a necessary element of the film. 
I think that's why all of the comedy works is because Nick Frost is so good in that in that role of being the guy who just doesn't understand and doesn't ever really approach a real adult situation appropriately. Everybody else can be freaking out, but he's taking a call from his friend saying, oh, yeah, no, no, now's not really good. I had nothing really going on. It's like, what, what are you talking about? And what I think a great personification of that characterization is in the moment up against the Mary zombie who's in the backyard, like the first time that they realize that zombies are coming and she falls down on that busted pole and get back up, gets back up and there's this pause of gloom and terror and all of a sudden you hear the as he tries to rewind the disposable camera so he can take a picture. Mm-hmm. It could mm-hmm. be one of the funniest moments in the movie, and it's just love- him hitting the rewind. <laughs> and that yes. moment when they're starting to throw the records, but they have to screen the records for what's worth throwing. Oh, just- and, and it stings a little bit when they decide to throw Prince's Batman record. I that think one of hurts you, a little bit. I think of you specifically, John, <laughs> every single time I watch this movie and that happens. <laughs> it's... It's, it, that's a conversation that I've had so many times in my life. But yes, and, and, but, but again, that speaks to the authenticity. Th- this is going to sound terrible because I know that the term gatekeeper gets thrown out there and everything, but authenticity is important for a movie like this to work. And it's the difference between, and boy, I might be you know holding up a big uh, copper rod during a lightning storm right here, but it's watching this and you see that conversation where they're talking about the albums that's an authentic nerd conversation as opposed to something you might incur you might encounter in the big bang theory where you (laughs) realize that it's people who aren't of your kind having arguments about luke's lightsaber color and stuff it's like no 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 you stole that from us you can't have that joke that's not your joke i know what you mean john that makes that makes total sense Yeah. yeah it's there's an authenticity well, and it also, I think, like Tristan said, it comes from the fact that they were roommates. Like, there's that, and and it even goes back to how we're calling this a trilogy. Like, all the characters have different names and are technically totally different people in each of these three movies. But for all intents and purposes, our minds can meld them into basically the same people. Like, yeah, it doesn't make sense that Sean is now a police officer with a totally different backstory. (laughs) But you know what? I don't really care. I just kind of roll with it because it's weird. It's like you're seeing Simon Pegg, but you're not at the same time. Yeah, you you just want to see Simon and Nick together. That's all you want to do. Like, it doesn't matter how they are together. You just want to see them together. And it broke my heart when they said that they were done with like the Cornetto trilogy when they're like, yeah, yeah, no, we're going to move on and do different things. But I really hope that we see Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. I could see them coming and being back. We found a fourth one. Like, just <laughs> call it that. We found a fourth. Well, <laughs> apparently Edgar Wright and uh, Nick Frost wanted to do a sequel to this one. It, 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 it crossed their minds. What they were going to do is they were going to call it Dusk Till Sean. <laughs> I would have been on board with it. I think they I probably just came it. up with the title first and said, let's do a sequel because we have yeah. an awesome title. But and then, then they're, they're like, like, yeah, it doesn't, is it there a really story here? <laughs> yeah, they were kind of like, ah, you know, it's it's fine. You know, like it's, this is a standalone story. And then they came up with Hot Fuzz in, you know, Darren, with what you were talking about, where they're like, yeah, they're not the same characters, but yet it's the same people. So your mind kind of wraps It's the it same around. dynamic. And 
they're not even roommates in the second one, but they it's still roommates. it's still the same feel, so they still oh, capture yeah. that. Yeah, they, they, they do capture that in Hot Fuzz, but Well they're they're co workers. Which yeah, is a different but, kind but, of dynamic. Yeah, true. But I, the thing I love, in all honesty, uh, to speak to the authenticity, as somebody who went through this grind, uh, you know, earlier in life sort of thing, there's even an authenticity to daily life for people who aren't of the laptop class, people who are in the retail environment, people who are out there in those surface sector jobs. I've been where Sean is with the insubordinate staff that you can't really tame, but you can't fire them. You don't have the authority to do what you need to do, and you're on the floor, and you're trying to sell something, and it's just exactly like that. Like it, 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 it And I would hope that it's um, universally applicable to people in some way, but I can tell you that that's another thing where... I can tell whoever came up with that scene has worked in some sort of retail environment before <laughs> yeah. because that is a special kind of hell where you almost wish for a zombie apocalypse because, wow, that would be easier to deal with than some some lady that's pissed because her kid didn't like the present that she bought or something like that. That's just, oh, man, where you're, where you're standing there. Let's go ahead and talk about it. Let's talk about the zombie yeah. apocalypse. So can we talk about that first act? Yeah. Specifically. Let's let's talk about the first act. So we, we get normal life. We get we get Sean and Ed who are just deadbeats at the Winchester. And you know, Liz, who once is just so tired of Sean being just a nothing and nobody, no ambition. You know, tale as old as time. And you have friends Diane and David. And and he says he's gonna take her out to someplace nice. He's he blows it, she breaks up with him. And we see all this foreshadowing all throughout the first act. And I think this is what really makes the film special and what kind of sets it apart. Because like you look at Edgar Wright's cinematography and editing style, you have these moments where all these mundane everyday moments are the ones that are edited with kinetic craziness. Like when he's getting milk out of the fridge or writing a note, it's like... You know, you say you hear all these sound effects Those and are things are going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I worked hard on that. And but then you have the zombie stuff that just kind of comes out, just comes out of nowhere, and isn't edited like that. And it, it's this ref, it's this role reversal, and it kind of just kind of turns your expectations on its head. But we go through so much repetitive nature with the first act. And then into the second one, we have everything that is quote unquote normal going on, but then we see it again with the zombification and like we see stuff going on in the background, like where we see someone in an ambulance, but yet they're in a body bag and they're trying to get out of the body bag. Well, and I love, you know, like you were saying the foreshadowing, uh, because it's, it doesn't. It's not taking itself too seriously. It knows it's a zombie movie and the audience knows it's a zombie movie. And it, yeah, everybody knows you, what they're watching, but it uses that. And unlike, I think other films had ever done before, or maybe they have, but, but just it, you, he uses that knowledge because 
you'll see someone walking really slow like a walker, but then he's just stretching or he's, you know, just an old gentleman. And so you're kind of like, oh, and now it's happening. Oh, wait, no, it's not. Oh, now it's happening. And it's all these not false starts, but it's funny because you can't really do that unless the audience already knows this is what's supposed to happen. Uh, But I love the, my favorite part of the first act is just the editing of the conspiratorial moments that happen in quick succession to prevent Sean from realizing what's happening from the edit, from them channel surfing. And they're like, just about, it's like, we take you to a, you know, a news break. Something is just, ha- Oh, and then they changed the channel. And so he missed that information. And th- it happens like a lot, like at least like 10 times in that act where he just misses that little bit of information that would have explained what's going on, but it makes it so funny. It does make it very funny, but it, it's also one of those things where you suddenly realize that it, it exists at that last fleeting moment of time before smartphones existed. I mean, everybody's still uh, on, on yeah. flip phones, right? And it's, it is one of those things where that's another way the world Answering has changed machines. so much. Yeah. Right. And because it is one of those things where you would get that. You get text bombs from people. You would get your Twitter feed. You would get your Facebook thing. But back then, you could still change the channel and wind up missing something key, which, you know, in today's environment is completely foreign. And it's amazing how fast it changed very shortly after that. And um, so it's the strangest thing to say that something from 2004 is suddenly dated already because of how much everything changed from one simple product making it onto the world. What's interesting in, in the reverse of that is, and something that I, I think uh, has been pointed out several times, is that a show like 24 that came out in, I think, 2001 would not have been able to exist before cell phones. Like, there's mm-hmm. just no way that that concept would have existed. Yeah, you're like, I got to get somewhere to talk to somebody because I yeah, can't I gotta talk get to, to a them phone. if yeah. they aren't there. Mm-hmm. And that's going to take minutes. It's like, no, just... Yeah, it's just... 24, same- 2022, he's sitting in his desk <laughs> with his smartphone and an internet connection. He's like, I do everything from this room. <laughs> well, it's kind of like in um, Skyfall with Q, where he's talking about how the world of espionage has changed, where like he's, he says something like, I can do more damage with my laptop before I have my morning tea than you do with a, a month in the field or something like that. I still love a good laser watch, though. I mean, I'm just being honest. <laughs> So one person that I think doesn't get nearly enough credit in this movie is Kate Ashfield as Liz, Sean's girlfriend. Yes. She is a stabilizing force, but is just as funny. Like she plays the straight man, but is has just as many funny and hilarious lines. And I agree. I, I this is the only thing I've ever seen her in. The actress. I, I want to say I've seen her in something else. But I, I couldn't recall it if I wanted to uh, off the top of my head. But I think that what's great about her is she is she gives the flexibility for Sean, for Simon Pegg, not to simply be Dean Martin to Nick Frost's uh, Jerry Lewis. It gives the ability, it gives the audience the permission to allow Simon Pegg to be a little dumber than he needs to be for the plot to work. She's the the more intelligent, rational, 
emotionally grounded person that you need for the comedy to work to begin with. And the the movie gets very, very stale if Simon Pegg is that character. Yeah. It get, it gets old over time. He's like part straight man, but she's really the straight man. Like right, you said. exactly. Exactly. You're exactly right. When she's introduced to everything, it enables the movie to go a little zany with both of our main characters so that we can have more fun with everything because otherwise it does get, I think, static with, uh, with, with just you know straight man and crazy man uh, at the core of it. No. Yeah, I, I was trying to look through her filmography and uh, yeah, I didn't really see much of anything, which is odd because I also saw when I was looking up uh, Edgar Wright, like a lot of his actors and actresses he've used in multiple projects, but I guess just not her. Yeah, I'm going to have to look up some of her other stuff because I've always really, really enjoyed her. And someone else that I've really enjoyed, and we, we've talked about realism a lot, which is so funny because I didn't think that we would talk about realism with <laughs> when we were talking about Shaun of the Dead, but uh, with Penelope Wilton as Barbara, his mom, what a real relationship like like a mm-hmm. mother and son relationship where she's just like well i you know i didn't want to be a bother you know like it's just you she's know got like a pet name pickle that she calls him every time yeah he like oh, hello mm-hmm. pickle you know and everything like that really she's she's so forgiving of him but yet at the same time calls him on his bs like barbara let's go over here hello <laughs> <laughs> and like that moment when like he's tried like when they realize that they need to kill his stepdad or they're like like oh he's been oh that's okay and he like they don't really his, care yeah they don't really care and he's just like i just want to let you know that philip touched me <laughs> when i was younger and then she just stops and look at him and he's like that was a lie that's not true <laughs> just like immediately yeah. calls him on it and yeah. It just, it it just was, she was so human and so lovable and familiar. And that's what made her death so impactful. Oh, yeah. Well, and her portrayal makes it uh, believable that even though, even though he's seen all of this other stuff pointing to what needs to happen, with Barbara. He doesn't want to shoot his Why mom. Sean yeah. would not want in any way for that to be the case, that he would want to carve that exception for her and say, no, this is the one case that where it wouldn't be. I, I also feel the need to call out the fact that her name alone is a terrific deep cut <laughs> yes. reference to the genre with Night of the Living Dead. Like simply naming the character Barbara it's one of those things that makes me giggle because I say they don't call attention to it. They don't point it out. It's one of those one of those winks at the audience saying if you get the joke, you know, as the kids say, I wait I Y K Y K. if you know you know. And it is uh it is one of those things where if you know you know why they named her Barbara to begin with. And And Ed Ed grabs the phone and says, "We're coming to get you, Barbara." Which is just yes. like at the beginning of Night of the Living Dead, where they say they're coming to get you, Barbara. Yes. And apparently, yes. they showed it to George Romero. They showed the movie to George Romero, and he didn't even get the reference. <laughs> yeah, well, George Romero is sort of John Carpenter before John Carpenter was John <laughs> Carpenter. So, you know, 
that's okay. Uh, <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I think that, that Barbara is another great example of why the supporting cast is so key yeah. to what makes this film work. And I, I do love um, Lucy Davis's Diane. I think yeah. she's she's so lovable. She's so cute. And she she just come like she brings such sunshine to this to the screen, but yet like she has that that arc and that that uh that huge uh, moment where they're arguing with like David is threatening to shoot Sean and and he's just like he's like, I know you only you know, like uh, you only started flirting with me so that you could get to Liz. I've made my peace with that. <laughs> like she's just like she's saying through gritted teeth, and um, just I it, just the dynamic of all of them together. It brings so much drama to it. Like, and that's the thing is that what makes a great zombie film is that you can't have a zombie film that's just about zombies. It cannot just be about the external right. threat. It needs to be about the internal conflict. And we people. have that. Yeah, it's about the people. And and like that's kind of how it was with the show The Walking Dead, where season one showed a lot about the external threat. But then as they moved on, where they're just like, okay, once they are able to figure out how to live in this world against the zombies, they're like, yeah, but now we have to live in this world with other humans. So it, it, it it's again, it's it's a just an aspect of the genre that's a lot of fun. I think what's really interesting, too, is that 2004 marks the release of the remake of Dawn of the Dead, directed by Zack Snyder and written by James Gunn. And that speaks exactly to what you're talking about, Tristan, where it's about the internal conflict. The external conflict is the zombies, right? And it's, you know, the collapse of society, all of that stuff. But the whole thing that makes the movie work the whole thing that makes you keep watching is that the people who are stuck together would not choose to be together in any other circumstance. And what's interesting is I, I think that with Shaun of the Dead is it's Liz, to speak to your point about why her performance is so key, is we have the context before the zombie apocalypse that Liz is the reason that these people who normally would never interact with each other yeah. are forced together. So it, And it switches from Liz as the reason they're together to the zombie apocalypse, but Liz is still the reason they're together because Liz is the reason that that uh, that Diane and and, and uh, David D David are are there with her, and the reason that Sean is going to get her. Everybody's about Liz, right? Everybody's about Liz, you know, and it's just the world that changes around it, but it's still that core conflict that's so important. So I, I, you're you're absolutely right. Calling that out, that's what makes the whole thing work. Man, yeah, that's that's really apt. That's really cool. Like, yeah, Liz is the linchpin. She's the reason they're all there. And she's the reason why everybody's there. I think the only the only sidestep is when we see his mom and stepdad. Like when they go to get his mom and stepdad. That's the only sidestep from Liz, but then they ultimately get together with Liz. And one of my favorite lines in the entire film is from Bill Bill Nye. And I, 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 to this day, I say it whenever I hurt myself, whenever I cut myself or burn myself or anything like that. 
and Sarah's like, you should put some, you, you know, you should put some Neosporin on that. You should, you know, you should clean that and be like, Sarah, I ran it under a cold tap. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> like, like that's the cure all for like, like why would I need to do anything else? I ran it yep. under a cold tap. Yep. Yeah. No, his, his performance is amazing. And, and then in the last <laughs> act for his role where we get this like, super sentimental emotional like father son speech and you're like oh my gosh where is this oh no he's dead now okay <laughs> but <laughs> but even even that is a send-up of the genre because the a-hole always gets that final redeeming moment before he dies he's always going to be like oh well, hey you know life was pretty bad and i guess i should have been a nicer person yeah, yeah. and even referring back to Zack snyder's dawn of the dead you have, uh, uh, I always forget the actor's name, Max Headroom in the beginning has that moment where he sits there and he he lays bare his soul and all of his stuff that he wishes he could have done and then he comes back as a zombie and they have to kill him. And it's, uh, you know, I, I love the fact that in this they turn it on its head. Again, it's that authenticity thing where Sean says, that's not really him anymore and then you find out that all the zombie wants to do is turn off. Yeah, yeah there's nothing <laughs> left of your husband. Music. And then, right. and then he's, it's like, click. It's like, oh, well, except for his distaste right. for loud music. Right. And he calms down as soon as he turns off the radio. Like, that's a beautiful, authentic joke to make. And a fun fact about Dawn of the Dead by, by Snyder, they had to delay that by two weeks because of the name of Shaun of the Dead. It's too close. There you go. It was too close. And they're like, we can't release these at the same time. I, th- I think that they work beautifully as a double feature. I would oh, watch yeah. both of these movies back to back in a heartbeat. I, I, like, I think it's great. I would watch Dawn of the Dead first. And then as a palate cleanser, watch Shaun of the Dead. And I think they would work beautifully, unintentionally as the perfect double feature uh, you know, especially because I think it would be a great way to soften the impact of the graphic nature of Zack Snyder's yeah. Dawn of the Dead for for people who are a little more uh, uh, less inclined to watch a horror movie like that. I think that Shaun of the Dead would be a good way to sort of like bring you out of that. And again, that speaks to the authenticity of it in that there are graphic things that happen in this. There's even the way that David dies is a specific call out to the way somebody dies in day of the dead. Like, and that is, trust me, not a lot of people saw day of the dead. And so it's one of those things where I see the scene where he's getting torn apart. And I go, I know exactly where you got that from. And I know exactly why you're showing that. And I love it. Because I know the meta reference that's going on right now. Well, there's so many of those in this movie, and not just from visual references or from homages and everything like that, but even like names of directors, like names of horror directors, where like the name of the of the shop that Sean, I don't have it in front of me, but the name of the shop that um, Sean works in and the name of the restaurant and is is all the last names of famous horror directors you know like like these people love the horror genre love the zombie genre and that's what makes this so like not only are they authentic in their character relations and relationships 
and what makes it feel real is that everything is earned when it comes to the homage. Everything is earned when it comes to the parody. I mean, that's why there are certain reasons why a scary movie, you know, the movie Scary Movie works and the later ones don't is because Scary Movie is a slapstick parody in the in the vein of Leslie Nielsen, not on the same level, of course, uh, but in the vein of, of slapstick where it takes the genre and makes fun of it, but then the later ones, it's just uses it as a backdrop and this one Shaun of the dead absolutely utilizes deep cut knowledge to tickle the funny bone of the diehard fan and just delight people who don't even know the deep cuts and and that that extends all the way to the music that they use the the music that they use is a specific uh reference to everything that came before and uh, uh, because they they actually go so deep cut that there are certain cues that are from the same library. I think that uh, that Romero used for Dawn of the Dead. Like, and and the thing is, that is something where again, you guys are not the 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 deep dive horror zombie fans that I am. And I'm not even as deep dive as other people are. I'm not trying to like, you know, I'm not saying that as like a a, a prideful moment sort of thing. But like I dig those movies and I hear the soundtrack for this movie. And it has that sense of this is somebody who knows everything like this is there. I I don't want to overuse the word authenticity, but but there (laughs) is. I mean, seriously, it feels like we've hit that word too, too much. But like there is a sense that the person it's important that the person telling the joke with a movie like this is somebody that you know watched what you watched and understood what you understood about what they're sending up well even the winchester the name of the restaurant Mm. or the bar that they're at that is such a huge plot point and where they stay and where even david says the (laughs) he's like it's crazy that the what you think is a romantic night out as well as an impenetrable fortress is the same thing and the the reason why it's a winchester named after the gun is because that rifle is in both versions of night of the living dead that's crazy i mean that's awesome that's 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 such a lovely thing to put in and it anchors the film and you know i feel like we could keep going and just go on and on and on. One last thing I wanted to say on the music topic, because you were talking about the the referential music and, and the cues, but there's also a lot of fun with the music. Like, I, I think we have to talk about the Don't Stop Me Now Queen <laughs> bit, which is just so funny because it's so, and it's so B-movie. Like, it's obviously the guy is padded up to all get out, and they're hitting him with flexible, like, rubber pull cues, mm-hmm. but it's it just makes me laugh every single time. Uh, and there's, you know, a couple other music bits. Well, even at the beginning music, where, yeah. where they're, like, they're drunk and they're leaving the Winchester and they're like, and then the zombie yeah. in the background goes, <laughs> and I think someone's yeah. just singing along with him. But yeah, it's, and and he'll use this in his other films where it's like using pop music as well as soundtrack music. That, yeah, Edgar effect. Wright. That is a huge. I'm so glad that you brought that up. That is a huge Edgar Wright's signature of utilizing music in this way in a very kinetic, integral, 
way of the filmmaking pro like it's not just background music it's not just orchestral music no the music that he chooses is is it, it layers the piece and it invests you it, it moves the scene along and you're you're in for the ride and yeah so like this this edgar wright doing Shaun of the dead you can see his stamp all over it and i think we haven't had this stylistic of a director on this show since Wes Anderson, in my opinion. I, I'm i not going to agree out of the gate just because I hate giving you an easy victory. But I think that um, yeah. Yeah, w- one thing that I, I want to uh, call out before we, we wrap up is I have to ask you guys how you feel about the ending. <laughs> because in a zombie movie the ending is typically not happy especially uh, for instance in dawn of the dead but in a zombie movie it's usually even if the people make it to the end the feeling is well all you did was you bought yourself another couple days whereas this is much more of a quote-unquote happy ending so civilization survives society continues do you think that that is a cheat or does that feel right with the tone of the movie overall? I I think I could argue either way with it, but I I would be interested to get your take on it because as a zombie movie fan, as a horror movie fan, the logical end of this is them getting out of the pub and then making their last stand and they're done. Whereas that's not the ending we get here. We get so the kind of like the, the wild bunch where they all kind of go out at the yep, end. They just know that they're going to die. And that seems to be where it's going until we get our, for lack of a better term, deus ex, where all of a sudden the, the military comes in, everybody everybody's okay, and his ex-girlfriend was the one that came in and everybody's fine. And they have the same conversation a third time. <laughs> yes. So how does that play for you guys? Darren, I'll let you go. Yeah, I mean, for me, because I'm not as much of a zombie aficionado, so I don't feel like it has to check that everybody dies box. I feel it's it works because it's a because of the comedy aspect. It's a comedy horror film, and because of that, you can do things like you know the "Don't Stop Me Now." You know, like that. You would put in a straight up zombie movie it would feel out of place but it fits perfectly in this and is right on the tone i mean there's so many popular scenes but i would almost say that scene like is almost an epitome of this movie of they're attacking a zombie in the winchester to a queen song you know choreographed like that (laughs) that just says it but no i like the ending i feel because it it's still a little bit of a downer where his friend is still a zombie. It's not like, oh, and we found a cure and everybody's fine now. Like, it doesn't go that far of the redeemed ending. But, uh, yeah, his his life is is better. So I'm, I'm okay with the ending. I, I, I like it. I'm with Darren. Like, I, I echo what he says. It's like, this is, this is a zombie horror comedy film. Like, this, that, that's really the, the tone that they're going for. I feel like it would have betrayed the feeling of the picture if they went full on 
you know, nihilistic, nothing matters, everybody dies, because we get this huge social commentary as well at the end when he's he's going through the channels again and we see all the craziness that hap is happening on tv with the talk shows and the game shows and everything that involves zombies because sadly as you're watching this you're like holy crap that is exactly it's very believable happen. it's totally believable uh, oh you know especially sort of there's sort of a post 9-11 commentary that's in there but i i think that uh, overall, I agree with you guys, but this is where I differ, is I think that the perfect ending is he comes out moaning, and you find out he's just being tired in the morning, and she's sk skimming through the channels, and he sits down, and you're given that moment of their, what is our modern life really like? Is it really that different from being a zombie and skimming the channels and going through everything? Where I, I think it goes a bit too far is that they then say, oh, well, we can keep zombies alive and keep them going through so that we can have that moment with Nick. I don't hate it. Okay, please understand I'm couching it. I don't hate it. <laughs> but I think it's more, a better ending is sort of the way that uh, it goes with The Simpsons when they have a zombie episode and they're sitting down watching TV, and somebody goes, shh, TV. And you hear a thump, thump, man, fall down, funny. And then everybody says, oh. That's the ending I'm looking for from this, where it's that very brutal commentary on people, that are we really being zombies even now without the zombie virus getting us and, and that sort of thing. Again, don't hate it, but it's one of those things where I go back and forth on it. All right. All right. Well, I think that's a, that's an interesting take, and I think that we'll see if that in, inflects your, <laughs> your, your ratings at all. Oh, what a, oh the, it's the slow knife, the knife <laughs> that cuts slowly, that, that cuts deepest. Thank you. Thank you so much for that one. Ouch. So, Darren, Tristan's like, it's not a real gun. <laughs> Boom. And there goes John's head. <laughs> Darren, how many broken records are you giving this film? Wait, give me a second. Okay. No, this one. No, not that one. Not that one. Not that one. Like, uh, I like no. it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it a four, a solid four. Uh, not that there's anything <laughs> intrinsically wrong with this movie. Uh, maybe just for not being quite my genre, but I could this, I would stop and watch this if this was on broadcast TV, like it's a lot of fun. Uh, it, you know, even not being a huge fan or knowing all of the, you know, sometimes when you get homages, if you don't know the homages, you're kind of like, did I watch a completely different film than you did? Like, but no, I feel like they're subtle enough and they're homaging the best parts that then bring those good parts into this movie. And so you get the benefit of that, even not having seen, like I've never seen Shaun of the, or Dawn of the Dead or any of those other main what? zombie movies. Uh, but it doesn't it doesn't detract Ugh. from my viewing of this movie, except under John's uh, opinion. But uh, <laughs> uh, but no. So I'm gonna give it. Uh, I'm gonna give it a four. 
All right, four broken uh, records. Okay, I just keep taking the shots here. My God, and 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 the, and the thing is, I'm just going to put it out there. We need to do House of Romero just so that you all can suffer through Romero's movies the same way I did. <laughs> that, but why does that sound fun? <laughs> you need but, to but suffer is, like I did. <laughs> I just want you to see Dawn of the Dead. That's it. The, okay, that's the I'll only watch way I can Dawn make of the Dead. Happen. I'll watch Dawn of the Dead on my own. That's totally fine. All right, cool. All right, cool. John, since but you- will you watch the director's cut? Whatever cut you tell me. Awesome. All right, John, since you clearly hated the ending. Oh, um, <laughs> Jeez. How, how many... Uh, how many... Just push uh, stop on the VCR right there. He's just like, stop. Right? Yep. <laughs> how many pool, pool cues are you, are you giving this, this major motion picture? I'm going to give it four and a half. Because uh, I can't lie, as a genre fan, there is a lot that appeals to me here. I do think that there are points where it gets a little greedy for the joke. Again, like I said, the ending, stuff like that, I'm not going to belabor anything. But this is a solid four and a half. This isn't a perfect film, but mostly to its credit as a comedy, it doesn't overstay its welcome. Just at the point where I'm starting to feel like, oh, okay, we got a little bit much going on here. Maybe we could wrap it up. It wraps it up. I appreciate that. An hour and 39 minutes, if it had gone one minute more, I would be more critical of it. I think it could be maybe two or three minutes shorter. Again, because of the ending. But outside of that, four and a half. Love it. I'm I'm. I'm on board with it. This is this is a movie where I stop and watch it when it comes on. For me, I, I give this five stars. Like this is a five star film for me. I friggin' love this movie. As I've said at the beginning of the show, I I've bought it in every single version. I whenever it's on, I watch it. Whenever whenever I think about watching it, I'll put it on, even if it's just for a couple of minutes. I'll you know like I I have it on my Plex server and I'll just I'll just watch it whenever I'll just click onto it and I just I think this is a great film from beginning to end I I really don't think there's any particular moment that I would excise uh, and that's why I'm giving it five stars is because this is a movie where I I can't remember who came up with the phrase of getting Shawshanked where whenever it's on you watch it and it's that kind of movie where it's just solid from beginning to end it's it's so funny it continues to make me laugh even though i've watched it probably every year since 2005 you know after i watched it when it came out on dvd so five stars for me so i'm excited to continue even though this is my favorite edgar wright film it doesn't mean that it's the only edgar wright film that i love so i am excited to move forward and Darren, what are we doing next week? Next week, we're going to be talking about the second episode of the Cornetto Trilogy. It's all about the ice cream with Hot Fuzz from 2007 here on House Lights. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) 
The Chamba life is for everybody. So go to ChambaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChambaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.